Yeah. I said, look, this is where I'm at and this is what's happening. You know, that whole, why did this happen to me type thing? And uh, he just said, Hey, listen, are you willing to go to treatment again? And I said, hell yeah, get me out of this. Get me out of this. So I came here to new West and uh, that's the attitude I brought. Unlike the previous times, the attitude that I brought this time was, I don't really care what I think I know. I don't care. You know, you know, if you tell me two plus two equals five, even though I know that that doesn't make a lot of sense, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear what you guys say. Because whatever I'm doing is not working anymore. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Darkness to Life and Our Collective Journey podcast here at the Plugged In Media Network. Uh, again, thank you to our sponsor, Nicole Davis uh, Real Estate. Uh, if you're buying or selling in the Medicine Hat region, get a hold of Nicole because she pays our bills and we like that. Um, with that... You know, we're, we're in studio, uh, Ryan, my boys here. We had some crazy IT problems today. Um, we're running, looks like a shit storm in here, but cables and shit everywhere. We're usually more organized. Sounds good though. Sounds good. Right. Sounds good. Yeah. You, well, and this shit show enabled us to have Dave sitting right beside us. Exactly. Today. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> Instead of the guy in the back room, the voice of God behind the curtain, he's sitting at the table guy. with us. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's new, Ryan? Uh, there's actually quite a bit new. We got a whole bunch of stuff going on at OCJ behind the scenes and all that other good stuff going on. But uh, um, what's new in my life? I don't know. We got some fancy new shiny medals to hang on our coats when oh, we go out in public. Oh, who got a fancy new medal? Well, we got, I got one, uh, Demo got one, and now we can all three wear our medals when we go out to dinner. And what medal is that, fine sir? The Queen's Platinum Jubilee medals we all received for, uh, it's pretty humbling actually, for our work in the addiction field in, in the province of Alberta and helping fellow Albertans find their way to recovery and, and whatnot. And, yeah. Look look at you getting recognized for helping people. Mm. Little do they know you're a D-bag. <laughs> <laughs> you're not far off. <laughs> Fooled them again. <laughs> cool yeah we should probably do an episode just with all the new programming and stuff just talking about what we're doing mm-hmm. but that's not today because we've got today. a we got a guest not today we got a guest we we're just trying to figure out uh the namesake here we've got uh colin campbell with us from new westminster i don't know if you're from there but i don't know that anybody's from there they just kind of land there don't they yeah, well, actually, I'm originally from uh, Mississauga, Ontario, which oh. is just outside of Toronto. So there you go. Uh, so I I met Colin uh, again. He's with the Last Door, and that's a group that we 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 love. We work well with them. We've uh, engaged in a whole bunch of different conferences and consultations, and we send clients to them. And uh, we've got a couple referrals that when they come back out of there, they uh, end up kind of coming to our neck of the woods, and we get handed off and. Really great group of guys and girls. Well, guys and is there just one girl out there? I can't. Uh, two. Two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most yeah, there mostly guys, and then a couple wonderful ladies as well. Um. So Colin is a. We were trying to figure this out. Peer peer facilitator, peer support program lead. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think my official title is something like client care worker. 
Um, but, you know, we also say day staff because I work during the day or, you know, support worker, client care. It, at the end of the day, you know, you kind of, you, you get in where you fit in, right? And what kind of skills you can use around the house and utilize it's, you know, I wouldn't say we're a hugely structured like that. We just kind of, we all fit in where we fit in, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, I, fuck, I love what you guys do out there, Matt. It's so cool to, um, just to experience it. Like, I really want to get Ryan out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the winter because it was a shitty drive, but uh, sometime when the weather's a little nicer, head out there again and, and let Ryan see the see the whole thing and meet the whole the whole crew out there. But uh, amazing facility. Maybe touch a little bit on what you guys are doing, and then uh, you know what what brought you into the what brought you into this profession. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe you burnt your life to the ground like we did, and you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. You know. Um Damn, where to start? It's one of those things, right? Like as I said, I came I came from Mississauga, Ontario. Currently thirty one, but but I originally came out west when I was twenty six. Um, and yeah, my life was bad, pretty bad. I, I you know I came from a good family, like a you know a nice middle class kind of family, and I was always the one who was a little off off the hinges. Um, I actually graduated university when I was twenty two. So when I came home from university. No idea what I want to do with my life. No idea where I'm going, what's going on. I just decided I'll make some money and rip some shit up. Let's see what happens, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and boy, did I do that. You know <laughs> what I mean, um, I really I really made a lot of mistakes. You know, as somebody who came from a middle-class background, I was an accomplished athlete. I was a smart guy. Man, was I willing to tear it all down and take everyone with me. And I, I kind of purposely did that. I know that sounds really kind of fucked up, but I but I purposely did that. Uh, it doesn't and, sound uh, fucked up to us too, man. No. It's, part of, <laughs> it's part of the repertoire. Yeah, yeah and uh, so I had to go to treatment a few times. I didn't originally come here to New West. I actually went to the island originally. And uh, as anybody who's tried to get clean before and didn't stay clean, it's it sucks when you get your head full of recovery and then you still choose to go back out and use, right? Because um, at that point, I became pretty acutely aware that, that something was wrong, but I didn't really want to address it. So I struggled. Man, I struggled out there. Um, yeah, like I said, I had a decent life I think I took for granted. And uh, I was impoverished. I was homeless for periods of time. Uh, I was broke all the time, all the time. No money, no nothing. And of course, my family and all my past life's back at home, back in Ontario. So I essentially had nothing. And I suffered like that for two years. And uh, when I when I was getting kicked out of my fifth living situation, I remember calling my dad and finally kind of getting honest because I'd been kind of stringing him along with a bunch of bullshit for a long time. And Fuck, are we I said, look, yeah, <laughs> I said, look, this is where I'm at. And this is what's happening. You know, that whole why did this happen to me type thing. And mm-hmm. uh, he just said, hey, listen, are you willing to go to treatment again? And I said, hell yeah, get me out of this. Get me out of this. So. I came here to New West, and uh, that's the attitude I brought. Unlike the previous times, the attitude that I brought this time was, I don't really care what I think I know. I don't Mm -hmm. care. You know, know, if you tell me 2 plus 2 equals 5, even though I know that that doesn't make a lot of sense, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear what you got to say, because whatever I'm doing is not working anymore. And uh, from there, things got better. You know, I won't say that it was uh, a nice pink cloud right from the start, but things got better, right? And it was slow. It was started out with just kind of shaking a few guys' hands at meetings every day and trying to get over myself. But it's amazing. Over my stay in New West, over about, let's call it 100 days, I really kind of looked back and went, I don't have any problems sleeping. 
I don't have any enemies. No one seems to dislike me. Things are pretty good. And uh, COVID was going on at that time. And I remember going to my caseworker and saying, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. What do you think about me starting work again? And he said, uh, what do you think about doing? And I said, well, I've been working labor jobs in retail, even though I have a degree. And uh, I have no idea. And he said, well, why would you leave here? Like, you could be an asset around here. We see what you do. Do you like to help people? Like, why not? So that wasn't a job offer. Uh, that was an offer to do some volunteer work around the house, which is usually how any employee here at the last door gets started. Um, we volunteer, and that means we don't make money. So uh, it was a pandemic. So, you know, I burned through my savings working here. I did volunteer for a long period of time, like it was almost six months. Um, I got an opportunity at the youth house, which is just down the road from us. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I'm the youngest sibling too in my family. So when I, you know, when I started working with kids, I didn't know how to do that. But again, with that attitude of being like, I'm willing to learn. I want to, I want to know what things are about. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to humble myself because I'm going to receive some, some feedback. I don't want to hear. <laughs> um, it's amazing. It's amazing how that opportunity took off for me. Right. And, and I think that's probably the best word to use in this whole thing is opportunity. Like, I was dying for an opportunity when I was out there on the streets, man. I was dying for it. That's all I wanted was an opportunity. Because um, I did believe in myself. I know things were really rough, but I believed that things could turn around. I just didn't know how. So I kept telling myself, when I get an opportunity, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of it. Even though I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant or what that would look like. I just kind of said, when I get that chance, I'm not going to fuck this up this time. Like, I'm not going to. And, uh, and it's funny how that attitude, which is, I've been cleaning out three years, just took uh, three years clean in January. Nice. Like, ever since I started doing that, like, uh, it's amazing how many opportunities you got out there. Like, the world isn't made for me, so I'm sure everybody <laughs> gets a lot of opportunities that we just sometimes miss out on, right? And, and, and that's been the blessing of it, right? And here at The Last Door, like, that's what I found from these guys, right, is they don't... They don't serve things up for you. They don't lob softballs at you. Like this is, you know, but there's opportunity and we all care and there's a lot of compassion, but, but it is very much a, what would you like to do about it? What would you like to do about it? Like we understand you got some problems and some things in your life aren't going the way you want. That sucks. And that matters that you feel that way, but what do you want to do about it? And how can we help? Right. And, uh, and it's been beautiful. Honestly, I, I, that's all I got to say is it's, uh, I'm still very much in the early days. I mean, three years, it's great. Right. I'm, I'm excited for it, but it's just the start. And uh, very much in the same way that it's just the start of my life for anybody, right? 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. How it doesn't really matter, right? It's all just the start of something. And, and I like to look at it that way, that this is just the starting of something. <clears throat> so what do you think it is? Like, what what's the magic in the sauce at Last Door? Because, like, even, you know, I, I've been in recovery for c- coming up on seven years now. So it, it's not you know whatever it's it's always new but it, it's not new anymore right and i've been especially on that little tour that i did i was i was visiting treatment centers i was i was visiting facilities i was visiting organizations and like there's something palpable about the energy at the last door that like was unique from every other place that i was at and i've been racking my brain as you know as we expand our programming and and we start working in different kind of directions here with ocj what is it what like what are you guys doing that's creates that 11 herbs and spices yeah what's this <laughs> what's the secret sauce man and and you know i've talked to everybody from there and they're like it's just it's just how we are it's just a community right so i'm curious to see what your take is on that especially if you visited other treatment centers as a client you know what do you what do you think it was 
about that opportunity, that environment, that program that sets you guys apart? You know, it's funny. I talk to a lot of to a lot of new guys who come through here. Um, once they've thought out a little bit, maybe a week or two in, and it's funny. Even guys who haven't experienced other places kind of say the same thing that I did, which is um, this: this house is kind of run almost like real life. If that makes any sense, like in other facilities, um, so a lot of them are locked down. You don't leave the property, right? Um, you, sometimes you don't leave the building. Um, you kind of get. I wouldn't call it cabin fever, but you get kind of really institutionalized. You get really in there. And here's very much the opposite. And as somebody who attended three different places before I came here, I found that to be almost like a, like a trick, you know, like when it's like, wait, we're going to go out to a meeting. That's like a solid 15 minute walk away where it's the weekend. We're going to go to the movies and it's just, it's not planned. Guys just are kind of like, Hey, you want to go to the movies? You want to go get coffee? You want like, it didn't really, we shouldn't have that much freedom as addicts, right? Like I didn't really understand that. I kind of thought it was a trick. We have a women's house down the way too. And I'd even been to a co-ed facility before. So when they're like, yeah, we're going to make friends with the ladies. We're going to learn to be respectful and do that. It didn't seem right to me. Like, I, cause I was used to that idea of lock and key and being like, we need to be, we need to be stuck in a room and kind of, you know, have four groups a day. Like I was used to that. So at first it was, it was actually foreign to me and it felt really kind of wrong, frankly, but as I kind of uh, was here for about a week or two or three and started to get the swing of it, I realized this is real life. Like, this is not do this, do that. We're going to do personality tests. We're going to, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was like, we're, we're going to live recovery. We're going to live it. And then you kind of have a choice once that comes in, right? It's, are you actually going to do it and kind of dive in with two feet or are you going to, are you going to stick to your old tricks and, and see what you can get away with? Right. And, for myself like this was a whole new experience and i was pretty broken so i was willing to, to try something new i was uh very much an isolator thought i was the smartest guy in the room of course once i came in here i was pretty broken to that idea but that meant that i got to practice the concept of meeting new people how to do it what was i afraid of how was i going to overcome that um it kind of allows guys to to have their own goals right and, and in the context of recovery uh, obviously and then they present it to their peers it's a, it's a peer support system too right like i mean i know you use the word community that's a good one but it is peer support much like any of the anonymous programs you know alcoholics not uh c-a-n-a whatever it is like they're all kind of peer support systems within themselves and and that's that's the magic of it but the peer support is not super structured like it's it's very organic and i think that on the outside looking in maybe from like a scientific clinical sense that at first at least you might say well wow that's almost like the wild west like who knows what's going to happen but in practice it's it's amazing it's just human connection sometimes you can't explain it right and and that that's what i think because you know some guys stay clean some guys don't my original friend group really didn't stick together all that much but that's why you have peer support you meet new people you find new things right and yeah it's 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 pretty unique it's pretty special one of the coolest moments that I've had in my recovery journey was sitting sitting in a room with you guys, actually. Um, you know, without digging too much into your program, it, it was one of your group settings, and you and one of the gentlemen um, called home on speakerphone and read his men's letter. And that was like, to watch how much fear and anxiety like because i know that fear and anxiety of having to make that amend right i, I know what that inner turmoil is like mm -hmm. and to see a room of i don't know what it was 30 guys 
come together and support them and cheer them on. And then the amount of emotion that was poured out on that phone call, so vulnerable for everybody to hear. But then, you know, as, as they hung up to be embraced by their community and supported and was, I was like, okay, I think I see what makes this different. Right. As opposed to like, you know, the, the other, you know, when you go to group at some other facilities, it's really, you know, whatever it is, leader, facilitator, whatever you want to call it, led and mm-hmm. prescriptive almost, right? Whereas this was like, you know, the guys that were facilitating that space that I was in that day just allowed that room to embrace that guy and support him. And they like, they didn't say a word, right? Like, you know, the, the guy hung up the phone, the room came together and it was a beautiful, emotional, vulnerable Mm. moment and it lasted like five minutes and the guys that were facilitating just kind of let it happen. And as everybody sat back down, I was like, okay, what's next, right? And who wants to go next? And all of a sudden you see that guy that was scared, like, you know, and I'm sitting around the room as an outsider kind of looking in, right? And, And I don't know the personalities. I don't know the people. I've only been there a day, right? But like- I've been through enough recovery that I'm like, that's the new guy who's scared shitless. That's the guy that thinks he knows better. Who's been here two days. Right. And you can see those walls break down with those folks as they see the impact that that had. And, you know, mm-hmm. from like, I, I I don't know the way you do your amends piece, but like for me, it was those three columns, right? Right now, someday fucking never right and (laughs) and names migrate across that list those columns but to see some of those guys that were like you can just see it in their eyes going like i want that right Mm -hmm. and 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 the reward of the reward of being embraced by the community for being vulnerable was that's cool something pretty special to witness as again a humbled guest to be able to sit there. Like even when I showed up and you guys were like, yeah, man, are you going to go sit and group? I'm like, you guys going to fucking let me go sit in your group. They're like, yeah, like you're here, get in, like get That's involved, cool. man. You got something to say, add something like speak up. Right. So it was just, it was, it was a really unique experience for me. And, and, and again, that's really why I want like Ryan yeah. to come and, and, cool. and get to ex- experience that environment. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know what you were talking about there with your experience. I actually, I actually remember when you were here for a group that one day. I'm pretty sure I was the guy that held the phone too, which is which is interesting to talk about because um, I was as you were just recounting, I was remembering what I was thinking right now as I'm holding the phone sitting beside the guy. Yeah, yeah you were now that I think. Um, yeah, I'm thinking like I kind of do. I don't want to coach him through it, you know, but I kind of want this to go well for him. But here, here's the reality of both saying like. This place is very organic and, and, you know, if you take the principle of the program around acceptance and faith, right? Mm-hmm. Like the chips are going to land where they land. Like this this guy, um, he's aware of the program. He's done good stuff. And, you know, he wrote the letter on his own accord. He got it reviewed by his peers too. Um, and, and he had the confidence to read it in that moment, right? And and the chips are going to land how they do because sometimes people don't take those amends well or, or the gratitude. Well, it's wow. just, hey, it's just the nature of life sometimes that we put our best efforts in. It doesn't quite work work out the way we want but that's okay right and it's important that a guy whether that phone call went well or it didn't you know it's good to know that you have support in the end so when i'm sitting there holding the phone all i can think to myself is sure i hope this goes really well but if it doesn't when i hang up that phone we all got his back right and that's what's really important because um you know the concept of powerlessness in the program like we can't control outcomes we don't know how other people are going to react but we do have some power over how how we 
uh, choose to, to, to react and have action, right? And mm-hmm. if you choose to support a guy who's going through a tough time, that's a beautiful thing, right? And and again, it goes back to what I was saying before, where you think that in a kind of, I don't want to say unstructured, but kind of in a, you're just kind of letting things flow. That might seem like, hey, maybe this guy's going to get no support or maybe maybe he's going to fall to the wayside in a, in a terrible moment, but it never goes like that. It really doesn't. And that's kind of restoring some faith in the program, faith in other people that amazes me because I didn't trust other people. I don't know about you guys. I didn't trust other people to, to have my back, right? That's why I, I liked being on my own yeah. was that I, I knew things went good. I get the rewards. Things go bad. Well, it's my fault, right? But I never had that faith in other people. And what I found was when I worked principles and I did the right thing, uh, eight to nine times out of 10, things weren't okay. I mean, I didn't always feel great about it, but things went okay, right? And, and it is to have that, put guys in a really vulnerable spot, have them read a gratitude or an amends letter, whatever it is. And regardless of how it turns out, people got your back and to prove it to them. Prove yeah. It. yeah. And I think that was the cool part too, right? Is, is me, you know, I, I've been, I've been through enough of these situations that like I've, I've seen not only like for myself as well, but with other sponsees or people I've worked with, I've seen amends go wrong, right? Not necessarily wrong. They just go how they go. And, uh, and, I, and and that was actually one of my parting thoughts when I was walking out of there too, is I was like, you know, regardless of, cause it was great. It was like fucking theatrical almost how well that did go. But knowing like, as I kind of sat back and processed it all, like knowing that the outcome would have been exactly the same, regardless of how that was received. Right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, and that means so much to an individual, I think to know for the first time, like that, and that's, I think like, that's the biggest gift of recovery, right? These relationships that we build, like I used to have 200 people in my phone that I could call any Friday night and be like, let's go get fucked up. And they're like, yeah, man, let's roll. And then now, you know, I, I've got maybe 10 guys in my phone, but I can call them at four in the morning going, oh dude, I'm not doing well. <laughs> yeah. And they'll like drop whatever the fuck <laughs> they're doing and, and come to like, where are you? Let's like, what do you, what do you need? Right. Whereas mm-hmm. if I was phoning anybody at four in the morning, it was either you better be holding or I'm holding and let's do this. Right. And if it was, wasn't one of those two things, they weren't fucking answering the phone or they certainly weren't getting out of bed. Right. So, um, just to speak to the power of that community and how important it is, I think in an individual's journey of recovery to be able to, um, to know that there's love and there's no conditions attached to it. Right. Cause I mean, I, I don't want to speak for everybody in recovery, but I know that like I was, I was really good at manipulating people and making them feel loved and making them feel wanted and making them feel certain ways because I wanted something out of that equation. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't genuine. It was manipulation. Mm-hmm. Totally. And when you see that in your guys's room, knowing that there's no manipulation there, there's, it's just genuine love and affection and like between men. Right. And like, not in a heter- like not in a mm-hmm. heterosexual, homosexual, like it's, it's just fucking pure support for like your brother. Right. And, uh, it's, it's, it was like I, I was only there for a little bit and I'm like, man, I love, cool. I love this place. Right. And, <clears throat> and seeing how many people go through there and how many people stay in Westminster is, is interesting. Right. Like usually guys get out of treatment and like, get me the fuck out of here. Like get me back to wherever <laughs> I want to. Right. 
and the rate of retention, not within the house, well, even within the house, but within the community is ridiculous. Going to meetings with you guys, and there's like a couple hundred people on a Wednesday night at an NA <clears throat> meeting, whereas, you know, here we've got- it's crazy. We got 10, and four of them are on the nod, right? And yeah. it's like- just such an amazing difference in environment. So kudos to you guys for sure. Absolutely, man. And I, I you know, I think, think about when you were talking there is, um, it's funny. I said this in group not that long ago is, uh, if you've ever had like loving support from maybe family, people not in the program, um, a common thing you'll hear is people will say, Hey, take care of yourself, you know, take time, take time to yourself, take care of yourself. And that's a really nice way of saying, get away from me. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. you know, and, and the funny thing is in the program and especially around here, you don't hear that much. You don't hear somebody say to one another, like, Hey, I'm struggling or I'm thinking of this or man, why do I keep making the same mistake? And someone goes, you're right. That's things. Take, take care of yourself. <laughs> no, it's, it's how can I help? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if somebody kind of feels like they, they can't help, they got some, they got some solution. Hey, have you gone to a meeting? What's, what's this look like? What's that look like? Right. If people try to help one another, this whole, like, I hope you get well just over there doesn't really exist around here. Um, and, and you know what? We're not, we're not professionals. We're all, or sorry, you know, here at the last door we are, but of course in the community, we're not professionals. Much like a sponsor is not a professional, right? They're, they're kind of a mentor within the program and people do the best they can. Right. And they build off one another. And we use the phrase like they tag team, right? You know, tag in, tag out. Not everyone's got all the best answers and perspectives, but that's why peer support, works frankly it's you know everyone's got a different perspective in their own life and in their own journey and some things hit and some things don't and when you smash it all together like i said it's it's pretty beautiful how these things come together watching a success story around here is it's pretty special yeah that sounds like a an amazing facility and you know i haven't been there yet obviously but one of the things that jumps out at me is that that word commu- uh, community like you guys have built what we're trying to establish out in this area is you guys have a very successful, well-oiled recovery community out there. And it, stuff like that doesn't just happen overnight and it's not magic, right? It's it's a lot of the things that you, uh, Colin and Rick have been talking about that go into that, right? It's that I got your back and it's for no other reason than someone had my back and I know how hard it can be. And man, that's amazing. You know, listening to that, that experience that Rick witnessed with the uh, making amends over the phone. How many people do we know, you know, even at some of the treatment facilities that, that are 12 step based or something, right? They usually take you to step three and then you're on your own for step four and five when you leave the facility after 30 or 60 days. And, and to try to do your amends list, let alone your step four and five, but how many people fall when those things don't go, you know, how they maybe have expected them to go, but to, be able to be around a room full of supportive dudes that you've went through all this together and they have your back, the odds of you going back out or having that disastrous slip or trip or whatever. And it's minimized. Like that is just such a cool atmosphere to hear about. I, it'll be cool to get there. Absolutely. Um, you know, for myself with step nine, when I was in the house, you know, actually, it's funny. I'll start by just saying that, yeah, this was my first experience doing when I came through the house. It was my first time ever doing a full set of steps because every time I went to treatment, it was up till step four or so. So I did like 
three or four step fours. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's impactful. Yep. I learned some stuff for sure. Especially when you start getting step one and realize like, oh, I'm in way over my head. And I didn't think I was like yeah. pretty impactful. But to actually go through the whole thing, right? To first of all, realize you have a problem. What am I going to do about it? Let's bury some stuff in the past and sort through that. But then to actually start to move more to the solution, which of course didn't happen at other facilities. But um, during my step nine experience, <clears throat> Like you said, it doesn't have to be catastrophically bad because we all have feelings in the early days, but I read my first letter was to my mom and like I, that had to be ironed out a lot because something that I did was I, I literally took cash out of her purse, right? Mm -hmm. But of course, I can't say that. In all the drafts I let up to it, I have to, I financially harmed you, which then has to turn into, I, I took money from, I borrowed money. No, 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 I took money. And eventually it becomes like, dude, what did you do? And I'm like, I lifted cash out of her purse. They're like, you have to tell her that. Like, yeah. like, so again, I got that from the peer support, right? And I read that letter to my mom and I remember, I was over webcam and she literally put the phone down and leaned back and was like, wow, thank you, right? I had this great <laughs> moment in my first letter. And of course I read my dad's maybe fourth or fifth amends. He listens to it, it's pretty in depth as well. And he just goes, cool, well, show me. Yeah. And that was it, mm. right? And like. You know, I mean, it's it's not the end of the world, but I'm like, damn, where was my wow moment? <laughs> he, he didn't care. He's like, you got to show me, right? And uh, it's much like what Rick was saying before, too. Like, I don't want to say talk is cheap because talk's important, right? But there's got to be some action behind it. And, and that's something we preach a lot here at, at The Last Story. Is that you you got to live your way into recovery, right? And, and the thoughts and feelings behind those actions, like, let's say... You might even say, hey, I don't really believe in it. I don't believe in helping the new guy. And it's like, well, maybe you will. You know, yeah. give it a shot and we'll support you through it. We'll we'll give you props along the way. Maybe some positive reinforcement, right? And and that, that's the best we can do. But honestly, that the results speak for themselves. Spoke spoke for me. Because there's tons of times, even in, in recovery these days, where I say to myself, why am I doing this? Like, why is it necessary to always mm -hmm. turn the other cheek? Why is it necessary to support other people? And then I get those moments. I was just on a meeting on Tuesday where I'm sitting in the old room that I used to go to in my early days in recovery. And I'm looking around the room and I'm like, I remember because I'm preparing for some opportunity that I don't really know about just yet. Preparing to, to help people I haven't met yet. That's why I'm here. Right? So it, like, like you guys were saying, it's special. I get that opportunity. I live in the neighborhood. I literally live around the corner. So, you know, I feel very, I feel very fortunate for sure. That's so cool, man. And I love how, you know, we've talked now for the last 15 minutes or 10 minutes about step nine, making amends, right? And we've used different language around it and whatnot. And and what always jumps out at me is, you know, we get a lot of pushback and we, you know, 12 steps doesn't work and all this stuff, whatever, who cares? I don't give a shit anymore. But for me, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're using 12 step, step language. It doesn't matter what language you're using. There's some real basic concepts. If you want to make it into long-term recovery that you have to start doing and one of them is owning your shit. One of them is recognizing why you did your shit and then making the changes to not do your shit anymore. And I don't care what step number you put in front of it or what you want to call it. Like those are the critical pieces to doing the work to change your life. And then, uh, you know, like you said, phoning your mom, telling your mom that stuff, that's owning your shit and being accountable for it. And you've made the changes to not do it again. And that's what it comes down to is, is making the change. Right. And, I, yeah, listening to you guys talk and listening to this and it's, you know, rattling around in my, in my head here, it doesn't matter what your model of recovery is. Those are some very key points to, to change in your life. 
And uh, for anyone who's listening that is against 12 step or had a bad experience there, whatever, who gives a shit? These are the, these are the critical pieces it, that go into recovery. And I think, and, and just from my experience, like, I think I'm much more aligned with your dad. Like I, I know when <laughs> totally. I, when I deal with our clients, you know, our intake process is kind of a little different, right? It's, it's, do you need kid gloves or do you need a punch in the face? And we kind of <laughs> direct accordingly to who you work with based on that. And, uh, I'm very much the, your dad kind of guy. Right. And I don't know how many clients I've said that to you. They'll call me, you know, whether it's sponsors, whether it's, it's, it's people we work with, whatever it is, or just people curious and they'll phone me at, you know, ridiculous hours at night. And, and this is how I'm feeling. And this is, this is what I did. And this is how I'm feeling. And this is what my wife said, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? Like at the end of the day, feelings are great, but you can sit in feelings as long as you want. Like whether you're depressed, whether you're angry, whether you're being a victim like whatever whatever that situation you're in is it's entirely up to you to decide how long you're going to sit in that emotion not to say you know emotions are bad and we shouldn't acknowledge them absolutely we should they they give us pause to realize something's not right but once we realize that and figure out what's not right what the fuck are you going to do about it is is really what it comes down to right and and a big thing for me in my journey was you know, I got a couple of those responses on amends, right? And people are like, cool. Yeah, yeah, I've heard this before, right? And it's like, no, but I really mean it this time. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's what you said the third time that you said this to me, right? So it does, there does come a point where like, you know, I, I often say we, as as addicts, well, as anybody, I guess, we you've only got so many stories in life to burn through, right? And and if you find yourself in a recovery, you've probably burnt through more than your share of apologies in life. And at some point, they just don't hold any fucking weight anymore, right? And like, through a lot of work and a lot of action, you might be able to gain some credit back in the I'm sorry bank, but like, we fucking burnt it up before, uh, <laughs> before our time was up. And so it really comes down to, you know, you, you get some of those you get some of those amends and I, and that's what I appreciated about your guys' process there. Right. If that would have went down, like somebody going, you know what, you fucked me over and I'm not in a position to let that go yet. Um, the reality is they're right. You know, like, and, and, and it's, it's hard cause especially, you know, it's, and I think that's part of why they start with the easy, low hanging fruit, like moms, right. Moms usually go well <laughs> as far as amends go. Right. But then you get into some of the deeper shit where people are like, you know what? I don't ever want to fucking talk to you again. Like, why are you even phoning me? Mm-hmm. And and to have the moment of clarity and have the support that you guys would have in the room to be like, you know what? The shitty thing is, is that guy's justified in that, right? He's right. Like, he, he or her or whatever, right? You did screw them over, and they're absolutely entitled to feel like you're a piece of shit because at the end of the day, you were, right? And that's not that's not an easy message to hear when you're especially when you're on you know the the air quotes pink cloud of fucking recovery and all of a sudden you get a punch in the face reminder that oh yeah I was a piece of shit right so i think that's really cool about the way you guys run your programming there is is even in that moment that support would be there for for them and surrounded by people that get it and understand that and and i think would be brutally honest enough to be like yeah they feel like they feel like you were an asshole cuz you were an asshole <laughs> 
And I think that, you know, just the uh, coming back to like the rigorous honesty piece of it, right? <clears throat> and, and the rigorous honesty of my life in addiction was I was a piece of shit. And as much as I'm not that guy now, I was then. And anybody that I wronged then, you know, regardless if I'm seven years in sobriety and I'm like, you know, meet one of these guys that I haven't seen since I was using on the street. And they're like, oh, that guy's a piece of shit. Or that guy's talking about me in community saying, oh, he's he's nothing but a piece of shit. Well, <clears throat> to him, I am. And, and he's right in that because he hasn't seen me. He hasn't talked to me. He doesn't know what the change is. So his last representation of who I am, he's absolutely accurate. So who the fuck am I to say, fuck that guy? It's, it's, it's pretty wild once you get into the serenity that comes with the process here, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, why not, why not have some truth in our lives, right? Um, some reality. Because let's be real. We were, we were taking intoxicating substances. Like our, our reality has been distorted for a very long time, right? <laughs> Like, why not have some truth and see it? It's it's tough. I hear it in the early days. You see it a lot around the house, right? Where guys, they 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 feel like if they admit that they've done some some shitty things, that they're a shitty person, and and that's not the case. Yes, you did X, Y, and Z, but like you said, what do you want to do about it, right? And and I like what I was just hearing a second ago too about you know some people are against twelve steps. Some people want to know about other types of programs, and that's fair too as well, right? I think I remember when I, I used to be a big guy. I'd lost about 50 pounds from, from when I started in the program. And I remember saying to my doctor at the time, I was like, yeah, I plan to lose some weight. I've been an athlete before. I think I know how to do it. What do you recommend for a diet? And he's like, I don't know. Like, you know, just avoid fatty foods, avoid some fried foods. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, what's better, Atkins? What's better, Mediterranean diet? And he's like, the diet that works is the one you follow. That's the one that works. Yeah. And I, I like to think about recovery the same way is – like there's so many different options out there, but what are you willing to actually do? Like, and here, cause I'll be real. When I met with the 12 steps, I did think this place was a cult. I mean, that wasn't <laughs> three years ago, that was six years ago. I remember saying to my girlfriend who at the time who wanted to quit and I, I and she was kind of distancing herself from me. Cause of course I wasn't stopping using. And I, I told her, I'm like, Oh, you joined a cult where they chant stuff. And she rolled her eyes at me. Right. And no wonder that relationship didn't work out. Um, <laughs> But, but the truth is, right, you know, once I actually came here and started reading the literature again for NA, I started to be like, have I ever actually done this? Mm -hmm. Like, I've, I've written it off a few times, right? I've been like, ah, powerlessness and unmanageability, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but have I actually, have I actually done the work around this? And then it became like, you know, my life is bad enough that why not give it a shot? Like, why not take the suggestions? Why not? For sure. Because what do I got to lose? Like, I got to lose 90 days? Like come on, I've been suffering here for five years. Like I might as well give this a shot. Right. And, and what did I find? I found that it worked for me. And we say to guys here too, because some guys want to say, Hey, what about smart recovery? What about, you know, such and such. And we go, well, here we work the 12 steps in Narcotics Anonymous. That's our program. Follow it. And if it doesn't work for you, hit the next treatment center and find out. Right. And that's not a harsh message. It's more saying like, Hey, dive into this with two feet. Go on the journey, and if it doesn't work for you, find somewhere else. But we do believe it's going to work for you. It's worked for a lot of us, right? And, mm. Yeah. For sure. And I think just listening to you over the last 35, 40 minutes, the pieces that really jump out at me are that, and you've shared about it in your, your own journey, right, is that open-mindedness and willingness. When you fucking started doing those two things, life started changing. And that's Absolutely. And that's anybody who, you know, once again, it doesn't really matter 
in my in my opinion if you want to call it the 12 steps of narcotics anonymous whatever you want to do those three things right there is how it works anywhere recovery is that you got to get brutally honest you got to start being open-minded to a different way of life and I, I don't know all the answers so i got to start listening to other people and i got to be willing to try some of that shit or else i'm going to end up still exactly where i was yesterday it brings me back to that you know i think i bring it up probably every fourth podcast is is that bacon a cake analogy yeah it's like you know i don't need to believe that this recipe will work in fact i can downright think it won't right i can absolutely be convinced that this won't work but if i if i mix the right amount of ingredients in the right order prep the oven to the right temperature i can sit there and stare into the oven arms crossed going nope there's no way this is going to work defiantly but if I actually do it, as the recipe says, the only result is a cake. And so I compare that to like 12-step recovery, you know, when I'm talking to people. I don't care if you think it's going to work. Like you've, you know, if you've ended up in a room talking to me, you've probably burnt some shit to the ground, right? So like, what do you got to lose at this point? Mm-hmm. So like your best thoughts have led you to sit and talking to me, which isn't a f- like, clearly you fucking failed, right? If I, if I'm the guy you're getting advice from, you fucked up. So at the end of the day, what do you got to lose? Right? Just do exactly what is recommended by people that it's worked for. And that, and you know, that kind of ties into half measures, right? Like if, if you're just kind of skimming over it or not quite following the recipe, or you're going to add your own little shit to it. Will it work? Maybe, maybe not. Right. But it, what I can guarantee will work is if you follow a tried, tested and true recipe by thousands of people before you that has worked. And the only fucking result is a cake. Like mm-hmm. that's what happens. So it doesn't matter if you believe in the chemistry of, baking powder i don't know even know how to fucking bake a cake but like how the shit works right like yeasts and sugars and like whatever the fuck happens when you bake a cake dave is shaking his head yes you <laughs> must be on the right track you know a lot about cake. Yeah. whatever whatever the chemical process that occurs in that transaction i don't need to understand the chemistry of it if i don't need to believe in it just fucking do it as it's written down as it's been done for thousands of fucking years for thousands of people and the results the same so it takes that whole this isn't for me this isn't going to work and you know maybe it won't maybe maybe it fucking won't right but have you ever really tried and we talk in treatment centers and i talk to people that have been through 12-step treatment centers just gone to 12-step meetings and they're like yeah yeah i tried that it didn't work and i'm like well what'd you try well, I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. So did you ever open a fucking book? Did you get a sponsor? Did you do any fucking steps? No, but I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I'm like, congratulations. You showed up. You didn't do a fucking thing. So it didn't, it didn't fail you. You didn't do it. It's like going to the gym, sitting in the back, watching people fucking work out. Like, you don't get this shit through osmosis. Like, <laughs> you're going to need to get off your ass and do some work, right? So I get it. Well... As you can see, I get a little bit more heated and hostile and direct about shit than some other people. But don't tell me it didn't work if you didn't fucking do it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. It, you know, what's funny is is my minor in university was, was, was philosophy. So, of course, the transition from reading about the better way to live and into, into the program, you can kind of see how it coincided. 
But when I look back on that time, I was pretty young. I was like 20, 21, is that I really gravitated towards the idea of what is the nature of being, not doing. No. I wanted to gravitate towards the nature of being all the time. Because I always thought when people said hard work and all that, I thought that was a bit trivial. But then, of course, fast forward, like what, you know, six years. And yeah, I'm going to narcotics anonymous meetings. My life's burned down. I have no money in my pockets. I'm sleeping on a mattress on the floor. You know, forget the nature of being. Like, what am I going to do? Right? Yeah. And, and it's amazing how after a while, because I kind of did, right? I mean, that's kind of self-centered and lonely person. I, I wanted people to understand me. So thoughts and feelings were at the forefront of my mind all the time. Like, if I could just communicate to others how I feel, everything will be okay. Well, sure, I, I got some sympathy and some empathy, and I met some good people. But ultimately, it wasn't sustainable. I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything. Right? Like... <laughs> So that, that is very much it. I mean, sometimes you're around here, fake it till you make it. I'm not the biggest fan of that language, but it, the sentiment is correct, right? Like get, get in, get two feet, meet some people, maybe smile a bit more, get some meals under you, crack a book, have a conversation. And you never know where this stuff can take you. But if you're not willing to do that, I mean, hey, you get what comes with that. Like, I think we've all had that, that feeling of being like, it'd be great if someone would come and save us. Well, did that work out? Maybe you gotta save yourself sometimes, and then eventually, once once that flips, you can go help somebody else as well too, right? You can get some purpose and meaning in your life. That, that's what I found. So, I think the most important thing in the whole magic sauce at last door you just mentioned was the fucking meals. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, your cook, like fuck, did I eat well? That was a delight for institutional eating you guys are killing it <laughs> <laughs> I, know I, I, I don't know what's up with it because i'll be honest with you we don't hire outside chefs these are always former clients yeah. and uh like since my time both being a client as well as working here this would be like our third one and i mean each one of them brings their own unique thing but they're all fantastic i, I don't understand like you know, you we guys... have a professional guy who loves to make healthy meals. We transition into a guy who's more of a southern deep fried, and oh. you know now we have Eddie, who's mm. uh, you know Asian culinary masterpiece maker. It's crazy. I don't know how this happens, but don't you guys have steak night Fridays? <laughs> do you guys have steak night Friday or something there? Yeah, yeah, we do. Ah. Yeah, we do. So I was gonna say sometimes it's ribs. You know, poor us. Sometimes it's ribs. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, the food was phenomenal. I think it just like my personal opinion on that note, if we're going to go down that rabbit hole. We may as well. Is we're fucking addicts, right? So like, don't shy away from the butter. Don't shy away from the sauce. Don't shy away from the sugar or the salt. Fuck it. Like, it's better than the fucking fentanyl we were smoking. So <laughs> a little bit of butter ain't going to hurt nobody. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah, live a little, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. At least, in the, at least in the early days, you know. Yeah. Get, get some candy from down at the store. Drink Coke with real sugar in it. I don't know. Whatever you got to do, right? Yeah, yeah. They're all better alternatives than where we were. Yeah. That's awesome, man. We're getting kind of close to our hour here. Uh, anything you want to leave the guests with or leave our listeners? Our guests, fuck, you're the guest. Any, <laughs> anything you want to leave our listeners with or spots of wisdom you want to share? Yeah, man. You know, it's funny. I, like I said, I just had my cake... Uh, you know, I celebrated my third year, like on January 13th, I believe. And, uh, you know, this year I didn't fret too much about what I wanted to say. I kind of just knew, generally speaking, in the back of my mind, I wanted to have some gratitude. 
You know, I, that's, that was really the thing. I didn't go in there playing to blow people's socks off this year. I just, I just wanted to, to show some gratitude and something that came to mind was I said, you know, in life we have, we have choices, right? And one of them is, do you, do you tend to look at your day-to-day activities as a burden or an opportunity, right? I tended to look at things when I was in active addiction as everything was a burden. Always. Everything was a burden. Talking to people, going to the grocery store, just simply getting by, going to the welfare office, everything was a burden. Yeah. Right. But as soon as I started to look at life as being like, maybe there's an opportunity here, that's when things started to change. Because once things are an opportunity, you can get help from others. You can be more open and willing. You have an opportunity to experience the good stuff and appreciate things. So for anybody who's struggling, I always say it like, hey, is this a burden or an opportunity? And ask yourself that. Right. And, and if it's an opportunity, let others help you. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you guys having me on today. This is this has been fun. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, that's so cool. And I love how you just talked about burden versus opportunity. And sometimes it's just as simple as changing two little words in any statement as from I have to, to I get to, and suddenly it's flipped on its head. I don't have to do anything today. I get to do all these things and it's instantly turned to, to more of a gratitude statement and, and invite people along with you. Let's go do it together. It's so cool, man. All right. Sure. Thanks, Colin. Uh, love you guys at the door. Keep up the good work. What about and, the guys uh, in the studio here? Oh, yeah. Show fuck, us sorry. some love. Uh, Dave, thanks for putting this together today. That was... Uh, I thought Dave might have a jammer this morning. Oh, yeah. I thought it might have been the end of Dave. There was a couple times he clutched a chest there. He's swearing, throwing fucking cables around. Glasses and, went flying oh, yeah, once. yard sailed. It was uh, a bit of an IT nightmare here. I thought he we pulled should... pulled it out for you. Yeah, he fucking nailed it, Dave. Nice. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, That's another episode. And uh, again, thanks to our sponsor for paying our bills, Nicole Davis Realty. Buying or selling, Nicole Davis. Bye-bye. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.